Welcome to Coin DMZ. This is our seventh episode. Mr. William Quigley is joining me, Ken Rakowski. William is in Santa Monica, California, and I am sitting in Jakarta, Indonesia, and we are your one-stop shop for all that is crypto. Later on in the show, Mr. Brock Pierce is going to join us. William, how would you describe Brock? You've known Brock for a long time. You've worked with Brock on so many different projects. Who and what is a Brock Pierce? Brock is uh, very, very active in the cryptocurrency space. Prior to that, he did a lot in the video game world. And he is uh, always on, always passionate, passionate about what's happening in the cryptocurrency world. If you go to his LinkedIn and look at all the companies he's involved with, it looks like an IMDB rap sheet for one of the most famous actors. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I don't, it's like... Uh, Elon Musk, right? I don't know how either of those two have the energy, but yeah. Hey, so I'm here in Jakarta and this whole week's pretty, been pretty interesting. I brought a bunch of friends with me and we got to go to the both the stock market and the commodities market of Indonesia. And they're fairly large markets. I mean, this is kind of maybe the third or fourth largest country in population in the world. And what was interesting, William, was Everything I saw may have been up to date in market standards, but so behind the eight ball when it comes to technology, like with crypto and blockchain, it, 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 they need to gravitate towards this stuff or else they are that dinosaur sort they don't know they are. And you're referring to the, the stock exchange itself. Yeah, well, I'm referring to exchanging, I mean, just buying stock. Oh, getting involved. I mean, everything, the commodities market, as they were saying, oh, yeah, we create a contract. And from the contract, we go to a negotiation. Then from the negotiation, we go to a settlement. It was all these arduous processes to get to, hey, I have money. I want your stuff. Let's do it. It's 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 like a five, six, ten step process just to get one thing to another thing. And that's all with inside the blockchain. Yeah, and they, they will, as an exchange, either either adopt blockchain-specific procedures, which a lot of exchanges globally will do, or they will wind up just being antiquated, and someone else will pop up and do what they're doing, and they'll do it better. Are we seeing any of this anywhere in the world where any of these exchanges have decided to move in that direction? Well, yeah, NASDAQ. NASDAQ, I believe, has put it for the last year, uh, they put all of their trading information on a blockchain. Now, that is what you would call a back office uh, improvement, meaning really doesn't mean much to you or me, except that what you can now do or what NASDAQ can do is they can prove that none of the historical data has been manipulated or changed. And in the past, you just had to take their word for it. So that's pretty nice, mm -hmm. you know? It, it, uh, a record that is immutable. That's a pretty nice benefit. Of course, what they haven't done is take the blockchain um, capabilities and brought them into the customer experience yet. And for a lot of reasons, that's a little bit more difficult to do. But one of the reasons they haven't done it is, you know, it fundamentally changes what the role of the exchanges is because uh, some of the things that exchanges do today uh, with human beings aren't needed anymore if you use the blockchain. 
particularly blockchains that have smart contracts. So you, you take out the middleman, the kind of the escrow agent that holds the security and releases it when, you know, the settlement, uh, the payment uh, has settled. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, I don't think on any regulated exchange, but it's a, it is an obvious improvement to how things are done today. It'll lower trading fees, which is always important to people. And uh, uh, I don't know how long it'll take before we see it in a big regulated exchange, but it won't be a technology reason for it taking long. It'll be a regulatory reason. So William Quigley, like I said, he's uh, in California. I'm in Jakarta. And we're here to look at what's going on in the crypto space and in the blockchain space. Today, we're going to be talking about how Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon, what their new views are when it comes to cryptocurrency. Uh, some of the exchanges, what's going on with the registration and the processes for customers. Kodak, what is going on with them? We'll look at the penny stock industry. And uh, we'll be talking about this right now. And that is, I'm looking at the the different coins that are out there and everything is in red. This is Friday, um, the 12th of January. Everything's in the red. Bitcoin is down, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash. I mean, everything's in the red, which to me, everything's on sale when I see this. But if you look at specifically Ethereum, Ethereum, man, has it had a wild ride lately, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I mean, what, three months ago, it was trading at $300 a coin. Yeah, right now it's $1,132. That's incredible. Yeah, that is incredible. And uh, it's been a nice, nice run since, uh, you know, since it's ICO a few years ago. Uh, a lot of people have noticed that where goes Bitcoin, so goes Ethereum, but usually in opposite directions. Uh, we saw... Bitcoin with a lot of strain from like June, July, August, September, October, November. And then in December, it sort of cooled off. It, it you know, fitted with $20,000. And then, and now it's trading at what today? Maybe 13,000? Yeah, $13,193. Yeah. And uh, so it's had a bit of a pullback. And uh, part of that I do think is because a lot of people are becoming aware of the fees that the Bitcoin uh, blockchain imposes on transactions and they're, you know, between $20 and $50 per transaction, the mining fees right now, which makes it, as we've talked about on this program, impractical for small payments. You know, you're not going to spend uh, $50 in fees to do a $10 transfer. So uh, that's, I think that's hurt Bitcoin. And, uh, Part of the reason Ethereum is jumping back is people are cycling out of Bitcoin and the next most stable coin is probably Ethereum, but also it's because the ICO market is coming back strong. And you remember it really popped uh, in the second half of last year. And that while you would think would be a good thing for Ethereum because most ICOs were issuing ERC-20 tokens, uh, these are the smart contract tokens that people get in exchange for submitting their Bitcoin or Ethereum when they participate in an ICO. And uh, the problem was for Ethereum, as these companies were raising lots of money in ICOs, as soon as the ICO was ended, they got nervous. And so they sold the Ethereum for either Bitcoin or cash. So it was keeping the price down. Uh, well, uh, 
after those ICOs uh, stopped, uh, and they almost stopped in their tracks in Q4, Ethereum was able to start going up again. Um, and now uh, ICOs are back in favor and people need to convert their Bitcoin to their Ethereum because most ICOs want Ethereum. And so we will see a temporary rise in Ethereum, most of which has already been priced in, I think, uh, because the ICO window is back open. And it's, it's, it's amazing how, how uh, abruptly that window closed and how uh, quickly it is reopened. It's been a couple of months. You know, it was very hard to do an ICO in September, October, November, and uh, cooled off a lot in uh, December because not much happens during that month. But now back in January, lots of people doing ICOs and they're filling up uh, their quota. It's interesting also to see the market capitalization side. Ethereum is almost half the size of Bitcoin now. That's yeah. pretty amazing. At least, I, I mean, I find it to be incredible. I mean, in that type of short run, what Ethereum has done in less than, what, 18 months of its existence, it's half well, of yeah, what Bitcoin took. A little, longer, little longer. I mean, it's been, been uh, call it, uh, you know, August 2015. Was it 2015? So, okay, okay. I yeah. remember it was three days after it came out. You said, Ken, get it. You got to get it. I go, really? Yeah. And it was pretty amazing because it was like eight cents back then. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it went up into 25, 30, 40 cents. But 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 yeah, it, it was obviously very cheap compared to where it is now. So watch what happens with Ethereum. The ICO market, as William has mentioned in the past, you know, you're looking at one to two ICOs a day, a day. Now, yeah. William, what would be the right steps for a company to say, yeah, we should do an ICO, not just to do it for ICO sakes, to say we're gonna raise some money. Is there certain parameters that really make a company perfectly ripe for an ICO? Well, I'd like to do, uh, in answering a question, I'd first like to say, let's dedicate a show to, should you do an ICO or not for your company, right? Because we could easily dedicate a show to that and having done these in the past, I can tell you there is no experience uh, that can prepare you for the, ICO, uh, for the ICO unless you do the ICO. And having done several of them, uh, I'd love to impart whatever I've gained onto the audience so that they can consider them for themselves. Uh, but there, and, and to be a bit technical here, there's two ways to do what we think about our ICOs. There's the ICO, and we typically associate ICOs with issuing a security token. Uh, and then there are the token generation events. And those are what would look like an ICO to the layperson, but those produce a utility token. Like wax, a was, a, wax was a TKO, or TKO. Yes. So that yes. was a, uh, okay. So that's different than an ICO. Yeah, and these are all like, you know, uh, we're making up the verbiage as we go along, but but the protocol is sort of to say a security token would be an ICO. Now, most of the world hasn't yet caught on, so everybody kind of calls these things ICOs. But okay. so, uh, uh, but but one is technically more security. And, and right now, anyway, if you do issue a token and it is a security, you just have uh, more rules that you need to abide by when you do it. So you have to decide, it doesn't make sense. So you would ask the question, you know, should people consider doing an ICO or a token uh, generation event? Uh, and I think uh, 
you have a business where a blockchain enabled piece of technology would help the customer experience. Uh, I really think that uh, token generation events or ICOs are, are far superior ways to raise capital than doing it the old fashioned way where you, you know, sell common stock or preferred stock to venture capitalists. It's a, it's a, it's a better way to, uh, uh, to build what you want to build. And what's really cool about in a token generation event, you're selling basically software. That's what these tokens are. And you're selling software that does some function. In the case of Wax, the token I uh, was involved with most recently, we uh, issued a token that will allow people to buy and sell skins or virtual items that uh, you, you trade in video games. Uh, you can use Wax to help you buy and sell these skins and they're a giant market, $50 billion market. And you can do it in a way that's much cheaper and much safer using an Ethereum-based smart contract. Uh, and that's what Wax has uh, versus the old fashioned way of, you know, uh, uh, contacting someone on Reddit and saying, hey, can you send me uh, that, that, uh, that virtual item and then I'll send you a, a payment and maybe they won't send you the payment, you know? Uh, so uh, doing this in a decentralized way with a smart contract removes all the trust issues of doing trading back and forth. And this trading environment is done across the whole world. So you also don't have to worry about currency conversion problems. Uh, so that would be an example of a, of, a, of a utility token that is targeting a specific industry. And in my opinion, it provides a much better customer experience than the current way we do it. You being a venture capitalist, you've been doing that for a long time, you going into this new space, was there a lot to learn or was most of the things you've done in the past just kind of moved over to this side? Brand new industry or just kind of a re-engineering of the old? Yeah, I would say, uh, as you know, I, I co-founded the very first uh, consumer internet venture capital fund. And uh, the uh, that experience versus getting involved in cryptocurrencies, it made getting involved in the internet at the dawn of the consumer internet seem really trivially easy. Uh, the, the, the cryptocurrency world is much more difficult to grasp uh, for a whole bunch of, we never had to ask ourselves, what is the meaning of money? When we got involved in e-commerce in the nineties, you know, you, you didn't have to think the questions you thought about related to business where, you know, we were funding online ad networks and, you know, messaging apps that the, the technical questions might be difficult, but you didn't have these really hard philosophical problems uh, around, you know, what makes an economy work? How, what's uh, the reason fiat currency works as a lubricant for, for, for trading and, these are not problems I had pondered or concepts I had pondered. And so getting an understanding of the technical dimension of Bitcoin and, and Ethereum and, and just cryptocurrencies, blockchain in general, that is, that's a lot of work, but manageable. But I think when you then say, okay, using this new technological innovation and using it in the current world to make products and services better for people, though, that, I think that was 
that's pretty hard. And it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing educational process. Uh, it's one of the reasons I believe that cryptocurrencies have been uh, uh, attracted a lot of technologists because it's fun to work on new stuff, but it's taken many, many years. We're on year nine now to start to see uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency things uh, get introduced to consumers. It's, it's just, it's a tall order and we're not nearly there. It's still very difficult to use cryptocurrencies. And there's still a lot of people who say, but why do I need it? And there are really good use cases, but, but they're just starting to get scaled out, you know, and built up. A little later on, Brock Pierce is going to join us and we'll find out what he's doing. Boy, does he sound like the ne next generation of the humanitarian in that interview. So I'm hanging out with a bunch of people and they're saying, oh, yeah, I'm doing uh, Kin and I'm doing Reddit coin. I'm doing Dent. I go, what are these? And they go, well, you know, they're, they're like two or three cents, not even. It's like penny stocks. It's like penny stocks. And I feel like I have much more growth with these. I go, OK, you can think about it that way. But let's talk about the penny stock industry. What has happened? Are they transforming and utilizing blockchain? Because it seems like it's the next forefront opportunity for them. Yeah, and of course, uh, even the, the term you use, Ken, penny stocks, I mean, that means something maybe to you or to me, but maybe to a lot of other people it doesn't. Uh, and you know, on the one hand, yes, it means these are stocks that are publicly traded, that trade at less than a dollar is usually how we think about it. Some of them literally trade for a few pennies. Typically, uh, when you hear penny stock, you also think about uh, a stock that's trying to do something that's really big and bold, but probably isn't going to be successful because it's it's too ambitious. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's it's the domain of a lot of high risk taking. You'll see um, biotech stocks in this category often. Uh, but they do have an opportunity because they're so cheaply priced. And if any positive news comes out, they can double or triple very quickly. So uh, cryptocurrencies and penny stocks have a lot of similarities. The, on the, I'd say on the negative side, you'll also find what I guess you would call charlatans, people who get behind a penny stock and then try to pump it up. Pump it up. Yeah, they try to tell a story and maybe it's more of a story than it is reality. And uh, uh, what we saw in the late 90s, you remember, is a whole bunch of companies that were sort of like not doing much, sort of sleepy companies, and they decided to start calling themselves internet companies. And just by changing their, their, their name, maybe putting .com on their, their name, or saying, we're gonna have an internet site, these stocks would double and triple in a very short period of time. And we've started to see the same thing right here. You know, in the crypto space, you're starting to see companies say, we're thinking of doing blockchain technology products or services, and the stock price goes up 50% or 100%. Uh, you and I have seen how this works. Most of those will not pan out. Most of the plans will not pan out, and those stocks will eventually go back to where they were. Uh, but there's a lot of excitement in the uh, in the public stock market. Didn't we see this even with a company saying, hey, we're going to add a blockchain to our name and people go crazy over it. The product hasn't changed, just the name has changed. Isn't Kodak, wait, kind of Kodak's doing this, aren't they? Yeah, we, you know, the Kodak hasn't given us a lot of details, but uh, 
uh, Kodak uh, came out a few days ago and said, uh, we are going to create a coin, Kodak coin, and it's going to be used by photographers to buy and uh, whatever, to trade or buy and sell uh, uh, pictures. And uh, I thought, wow, you know, there's other companies already doing similar stuff like Wax and Hopskins, uh, but a lot of people have heard of, of Kodak. And so uh, you saw a bunch of people, people who maybe have had a hard time getting into cryptos because it's not easy to actually even buy them, who said, ah, oh, I can, I can acquire a position in Kodak and I'll get some of the bump from excitement of Bitcoin. Um, Ripple, which is a very big coin that does work in the banking sector and the money transmission sector, uh, it uh, announced uh, a partnership with a, uh, another company called MoneyGram and we saw MoneyGram stock go way up. Now, even though there's not a lot of details, it's just more speculation. It's uh, a way to reinvent themselves to go after a market that has not seen much from Kodak in a long time. That's what it is. They're back in the news now. Yeah, and I'm still sick of having to wave those pictures to get all of the, you know. No, that's Polaroid. Polaroid. Oh. You wave to the Polaroid. Kodak, <laughs> you would have to go to Kmart to get it developed. Remember, you would have to physically go somewhere to give them your roll of film. or We used to send it in, actually mail in, and wait a week for our pictures. Didn't you, Times have have the, didn't you have the police investigate you for some of the photos you turned in? It was the FBI. So uh, that's FBI. not, come on, come on. Hey, um, I have had some problems on a few of the uh, exchanges and even wallets that I use trying to get in and out. Some even register. They are lag lagging. They're, they slow down. Sometimes they don't even uh, register. Like I try to put up my my login and my password and it comes up with errors. What's going on, William? It seems like a lot of these exchanges are having problems with registration and just getting getting inside them. Yeah, it, it, so you're right for the audience. If any of you have tried to log on or to sign up a new account, maybe it's Kraken, it's Bitrix, it's Poliniex, uh, Binance. There's a whole bunch of exchanges that have received so many new customer registrations that they have said, we are no longer allowing new customers to sign up. Now, for any entrepreneur out there listening, they're probably thinking, oh my God, what a nice problem to have. Hey guys, I just can't take any more customers. I've got too many. But that is where we are right now. There are literally that, there's that much demand. And I used to criticize a lot of these exchanges because I say, look it, you've got a few hundred or a few thousand new customer applications a day, just hire more people. But some of these exchanges have a hundred thousand new customer uh, registrations a day and uh, it's overwhelmed them. And so that's a sign of how much demand there is to get into cryptocurrency. Wow. So what's going to happen then? They just have to fix what they're doing or are we just going to look at newer exchanges popping up there and say, hey, we can well, actually handle more transactions? Yeah, it's a good question. First, every time there's been this problem, and this has happened a few times, uh, new exchanges have popped up. They've made it slightly easier to, uh, to sign up. So those new exchanges tend to get more registrations. Um, but also, you just have to work through this bottleneck. Uh, it could take it could take a month or two months before 
we've had this first wave of, you know, beginning of the year, new customers saying, you know, people saying, I'm just going to get a new account. I, you know, my commitment this year is to own some cryptocurrencies. So uh, I'm guessing sometime in February, this problem starts to, you know, go away. But for the time being, my only advice would be, if uh, you have one exchange and they won't let you register, go find another one. And you can find lots of exchanges on a site called CoinMarketCap. You can see, I don't know what it is, the top 400 exchanges. And of course, some of those do a better job at allowing people to sign up, even with this onslaught of new registrations. And you can start trading potentially in a few days. Yeah, well, that's it, a few days. You can't do it right away if you're opening up something brand new. There's gotta be a process. It does take a few days. Do you remember a long time ago, because you and I are old, when you first got your mobile phone and there was multiple carriers out there, the phone that you got, let's just say back then, I got one from Cellular One or AT&T here in the States, you weren't able to call the other carriers yet. And if you did, it was considered roaming or long distance. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy, right? But I mean, we today you could never imagine that. Like you couldn't care, call another carrier because they weren't on the same type of network. Well, it's kind of, it's a similar situation now. Yes. Well, it was, it used to be that if you changed your phone carrier, you lost your phone number. You had to get a new one. That's the way it is. So what it is, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back. Uh, I sat down or virtually sat down with Brock Pierce, who's currently in Seoul, South Korea at an uh, EOS event, uh, hung out with him. And then uh, William Quigley and I are gonna come back and we're gonna talk about what's going on with Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan and Warren Buffett. There are on two different sides of what's going on. Hey, you're listening to Coin DMZ and we'll be right back. We're back, it's Coin DMZ, and as I'm sitting here in Jakarta, over on, uh, let's see, a little north of me in Seoul, South Korea, is Mr. Brock Pierce. Hey, Brock, what's going on? What are you doing in Seoul? Uh, I'm here for an EOS um, meetup. I just arrived this morning, uh, flew in from Puerto Rico, which is where I've been spending uh, most of my time lately. Okay, just a lot of questions just from that alone. First, when you say a meetup, how many people are showing up to a meetup? Uh, I think that this one, I think we're capped out at like 600, but I think between live streaming and everything else, it'll be thousands. And are you seeing a, a different type of audience in different parts of the world? Or are you seeing the same type of questions and situations at these meetups? No, you're going to see different things. I mean, the reason why Korea is the largest market in the world with you know such a small population is because the um, you know South Korea is comprised of gamers. Like everyone in South Korea is a gamer for the most part, with you know a few exceptions. And gamers, uh, specifically people that have been playing online games, buying and selling digital currency, and things like World of Warcraft, Lineage, etc., were the ones that kind of understood this market at at scale more than any other market in the world. And should come as no surprise that Korea, that was late to the game, would quickly you know ascend to number one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but as they're ascending to number one, they're seeing either the potential roadblocks uh, with the government side and you're seeing some direction of the population. The population wants to go in one direction. Government seems to go in a different direction. Correct? Well, I've been I've been doing business in South Korea for a very long time. I, I owned the um, the two largest exchanges here for digital currency and games, item mania and item Bay. So I was doing a billion dollars a year here had a very large team. Uh, I've lived over here. And one thing I can tell you is that, you know, these sort of government 
uh, issues that you're seeing raised, um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be as alarmed as you know people are finding themselves becoming. Um, it, 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 it's um, having done business here as long as I have. It, it was pretty consistent scares from the government, but at the end of the day, the government uh, was pretty rational and the government ended up doing a lot of the right things. So I, I think people are overreacting. I think that people are creating a lot of FUD here because they're trying to create sell-offs as we often see. Um, and the government already announced today uh, that it is not uh, shutting down the crypto market. Let me read you the exact uh, uh, quote as I have it. Um, uh, yeah, here it is. In an official announcement, South Korea government reaffirms there will be no trading ban for cryptocurrency market in the short term, and nothing is finalized. There's also been a petition to fire the head of the Ministry of Justice over this. Oh, wow. Hey, well, why, why would a country even think of the direction of banning a crypto or just the whole market itself? What are they fearful of? Well, again, I think that the, the FUD here is that this has been over-exaggerated. I think that, you're, you know, governments are comprised of many people. It's not one individual and it's not, you know, one, you know, shared view or one opinion. It's comprised of lots of people that have lots of different opinions. And what you'll often see is the uninformed, um, you know, often talk about, oh, well, this thing isn't regulated. Oh, it's anonymous. Oh, it, you know, it, it should be banned. Oh, it's going to go away. Governments are going to kill it. The people that you normally hear making those types of statements are just really uninformed. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're the types of people that like to have opinions about things when they haven't done any work. Um, and so, um, you know, you just have to be able to discern the difference. I mean, there are sometimes informed people that might share those views, but generally pretty rare. You know, once you understand the importance of cryptocurrency, blockchain, decentralized technology, technologies and the benefit you know that it's going to provide to the world it's like saying that transparency is bad um you know it's like it, it, it's generally just the opinion that it's generally the opinion of a, a very uninformed individual and and often they're uninformed because of bad journalism you know you're getting journalists that are writing pieces that are intentionally sensational with clickbait type headlines uh, to generate revenue and those journalists are either unknowingly or intentionally misinforming people so look at a country like the U.S., which is just massive in size. Are we going to see the same process of what's going through South Korea go through the states? Or do you think it's going to be a difference because of the way the states is set up? I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of different um, uh, reactions. I mean, this this is also the biggest opportunity we've ever seen. I mean, I, it's my, my firm belief that this um, industry is 10 times bigger than the Internet. And so as a government... I would be very um, careful about um, ensuring that I'm going to have no part in it going forward. Yeah, that, that the blockchain, I believe, is going to have a 10 times larger impact or more on the world than the Internet has. You know, as a government to ban that basically ensures that your country has no future. I mean, imagine if your, your country had banned the Internet. I mean, it would cause you to go back in time, you know, by 100 years. Uh, and I don't think that that's what anyone's looking for either. So, I mean... This is one where I think governments are generally have been, you know, their first reactions have not always been positive, but that's typical of human beings. We're typically fearful of things we don't understand. You know, when you think sort of evolutionarily, you know, you, you were supposed to be afraid of things you didn't know. It might want to eat you. Um, and so that, that's not, it's not a wrong response. Um, that's perfectly fine. And so, um, 
But then the goal is, you know, is to have enough self-control and to be self-aware enough to recognize that, to then take the time to become informed so that you can make informed decisions. And only informed decisions are typically good decisions. I mean, um, so I would, I, I'm, I'm happy with generally the way things are going. I think that you will see um, uh, some serious regulatory um, pushback this year, but not to ban the industry. It's going to be to go after the bad actors. Uh, you know, the people that the people that have been either scamming people, ripping people off, running Ponzi schemes, people that are just blatantly disregarding law and regulation. Um, I think that you're going to see a lot of people made examples of this year, um, but they're going to be made examples of because they weren't careful. They didn't think about what it is that they're doing and you know it's 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 going to be sad but i think that we're looking at a lot of that this year so 2018 is the cleanup year yeah i don't think that we're going to see anything regulated out of existence but i think you're going to see you know the bad actors taken out of the market so you mentioned also that you live in puerto rico now you used to live in los angeles why such a big move because of my acting background and things i've always just kind of uh, you know, stopped in LA from time to time. Um, but, uh, Puerto Rico is, uh, I went over there to start a, a financial institution back in 2014 because there were, um, challenges in banking Bitcoin businesses. And I looked at buying banks. I looked at starting banks and evaluated kind of all of the options. And the conclusion that I came to is that starting a financial institution in Puerto Rico was the uh, uh, the most intelligent route. I mean, think about it from a hacker's perspective. If you want to hack a system, you try to find the weakest link and, uh, not to put Puerto Rico down. That's clearly not my intention. You know, the weakest link there is a place that is financially struggling, um, and in need of opportunity and need of people that can create a, you know, can create opportunities. And so I went to Puerto Rico and got that done. And, um, I had told, you know, most of um, the people I work with closely that the plan was to move to Puerto Rico in 2018. And a lot of, you know, the, the core of the team that I work with, you know, was on board with this mission. And when the hurricane hit, um, that just accelerated the timetable. And there's now a, a large group of us that have moved over there already and hundreds more coming this year. And I mean, like crypto nights, I mean, like wizards, not just at the crypto industry. I mean, healthcare, energy, I mean, Puerto Rico is in bad shape and it needs our help. And I, I think of myself as a person that lives in service. Um, I don't really even think of my life as being my own any longer. Um, I've committed my, my life to be in service of, of others. And I can't think of a, um, a better cause right now than getting involved in trying to help um, Puerto Rico and the people there. They, they need our help. Brock Pierce is joining us. Last question before we let you go, because I know you want to go help South Korea out. You got a company and you want it to um, just grow and get more visibility. Do you add the word blockchain to it? I mean, that, that's to be expected. People are always going to put AI, blockchain, distributed, decentralized, you know, big data, <laughs> machine learning, you know, whatever. The, I mean, you, you, you can't. Uh, the way the world is designed is interesting. Uh, I like to think of life as a video game. Um, and you need to look at the rules of the game and the rules of religion and government and the, the, the way that the rules have been architected over the last, you know, call it a few thousand years, um, were designed in such a way to basically favor sociopaths and psychopaths. The reason why you see so many powerful people being sociopaths is because in this video game, you can either be born with no power-ups, right? You can be born with a, a life meter at half full, but you can also be born with like, you know, major 
you know, with, you know, big, powerful guns or powerful swords. And, you know, one of the most powerful gifts that you can be born with um, in the game that in which we live with the rules, the way that they've been architected is to be a sociopath, meaning to operate without heart, meaning to win at all costs, step on anyone, ruin anyone's lives, you know, for the benefit of yourself, which is a horrible architecture, right? I mean, we've designed the game, we've designed the system, the world in which we live to disadvantage people that want to do good, to disadvantage people that operate from heart. You know, to be a sociopath is to basically have all the power-ups. And, um, you know, that's, you know, some of the things that, you know, we'll be able to change, you know, as a result of these new technologies. We can start to, you know, we can move away from creating a world of scarcity, you know, a world where it's a zero-sum game where you have to lose for me to win. You know, we can create a world of infinite abundance. You know, we can, we can change the game. We can change the rules of the game. And, um, you know, that's the thing that, uh, you know, has me most excited right now. That's Mr. Brock Pierce. You want to find out more about him? I just, just go on the internet and type his name because he's doing so much. Uh, his LinkedIn, like I said, it looks like an IMDb rap sheet, which probably is right because he is a childhood actor. He starred in the amazing, you know what show, remember? Come on, what what movie? Uh, first Kid. Oh, and and, uh, and uh, Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. That's right. He, <laughs> and Brock is a unique individual. If you ever get a chance to see him speak, you want to see him speak because he's he's unique. He's different. All right, before we go, I got two names, William, and it doesn't seem like they totally get along or even agree. And that is Mr. Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon. Did you just see what Jamie Dimon has said? Well, yeah, he sort of reversed what he had said earlier about thinking uh, cryptocurrencies were too risky and uh, not something that you should have as part of your investment portfolio. And now he is saying he regrets being so negative on cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular. He's clearly having a change of heart. And I'll tell you why, because lots of his big banking customers are saying we want to get involved in cryptocurrencies and either jp morgan uh, decides to do things to make that easier for their customers or they're just lose customers well let's face it he did call cryptocurrencies a fraud that's the word he used fraud um, and also let's look at jp morgan but let's look at the financial planning industry just the industry alone uh, that helps people do financial planning and i'm not talking about the big dogs the average individual that has mutual funds maybe a few stocks here and there a few bonds this is interesting i talked to a few cfps certified financial planners and they have told me that the last year has been a bit flat for them i go flat how could it possibly be fat flat the market is over twenty-five thousand. this is an incredible market it's been constantly going up and what they said, and I thought you might appreciate this, William, is because the media, the mainstream media, does not like the current administration, they're not talking about the big accomplishments of the current administration. Okay. And they might be perceived, or might perceive the market's rally to be an accomplishment of the administration. Does that make sense? It does. It sounds a bit conspiratorial, uh, but yeah. Uh, 
we know that the media absolutely leans left, though what typically happens is when people are doing well, they see it in their financial returns of their stock portfolios, uh, it's kind of hard to convince them that they're not doing well. So I, I, would, I would think that most people who are looking at their 401k statements would be saying, darn, this is great, you know? Yeah, and well, if they're looking at it, most of the time, a lot of these individuals get their information from their financial planners too. And again, they're not seeing this on, on a major news network regarding how great the market is over and over again. If it was the prior administration, it would be marketed or that would be a daily news story. Yeah, I think for a lot of the the, uh, the left wing oriented media outlets, you're probably right that they would be pumping up the great economy. Now, I have to say, uh, whether we have a Democrat or Republican administration, I have always been amused at how much the um, it's it's the media. We'll call it the media. I don't know if average American cares, but the media tends to ascribe the success or the uh, improvement in the economy to the administration. And when the economy is doing poorly, they blame these uh, the presidential administrations. And the reality is the president and the president's administration can influence the economy, but it's over long periods of time, mainly through regulatory changes. So, you know, to say, oh, this, you know, look how great the stock market's doing. Isn't our president doing a good job? It's sort of silly. Mm hmm. All right, let's do one more name. Warren Buffett, of course, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway. I believe it's the most expensive stock you can buy. What's it like $240,000 for one of the, one share? It's crazy. Uh, Warren Buffett is kind of taking the old Jamie Dimon approach, isn't he? Yeah, I feel what you mean. Now, now uh, many of the people in your audience uh, might not know who Warren Buffett is because he is, he is an old guy at this point, but he he was a stock market guru. He is uh, well known for well known for over the years having um, had a return that is that is well, probably unprecedented. I think he's done over twenty percent a year returns in, in his Berkshire Hathaway holding company for like thirty years or something. It's a remarkable record, but it's mostly been in financial services. And Warren Buffett is famously anti-technology. Uh, he's so famous anti-technology that he doesn't know what technology is. And as a result, for years he said, oh, I would never want to invest in Facebook or Google or Yahoo. I don't invest in technology companies. Those are media companies. They're not technology companies. So he can't even differentiate a technology company. But he eventually, by the way, decided to take a position in Apple uh, or, you know, over decades saying, I don't want to get involved in a, in a, in a technology company. And I don't know if you know why, Ken. His, his reason was a technology companies don't have a competitive advantage. They're on like a, uh, uh, this, uh, this constant uh, requirement to update their technology. And as soon as it, you know, a competitor comes along and does it better, faster, cheaper, they're out. He is a big believer in brands. And I'll say in uh, the power of regulators to lock in a monopoly position, I think that's where he makes a lot of his money on things like insurance and banking, heavily, heavily regulated industries where uh, those companies can manipulate the political process in order to ensure that their, com their competitors uh, 
don't have a chance. So I think Warren Buffett's real problem with quote technology companies is uh, they have to deal with the laws of supply and demand in capitalism, and he'd prefer not to work in an environment like that. And it was no surprise to me that he thought Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies were a scam because Warren Buffett is what you would call a statist. He is a he is someone who believes that the, the government should control most of the economy and the government should pick winners and losers. And so for a man like that to see uh, and look at the cryptocurrency world and the blockchain world and see that it's about uh, being decentralized and not being controlled by any one government or any one individual, I suppose he thinks, well, how can I make money on that? You know, that's not attractive. He likes having, you know, regulators go and give him a break and do better than allow him to do things that maybe other companies can't. That's how I see him. And so it was no surprise. I would suggest, uh, again, this is handing off the baton because I think Warren Buffett is uh, an old school way of thinking the way he is. There's no question about it where, you know, someone like a uh, hmm, let, let's pick a. A, a younger type of investor who is going to have a much more diverse portfolio because Warren Buffett would always say, I only invest in stuff I understand. Yeah. And what yeah. he understood principally was banking and yep. insurance. It's where he made virtually all his money. And carpet and Dairy Queen. Yeah, that's true. And Dairy Queen. Um, and when he dabbled in the airline business, like most people, uh, he lost money. So, uh, uh, but uh, what I, here's what I find amusing, Ken. Uh, why the hell would I care what Warren Buffett has to say about cryptocurrencies or blockchain? I mean, seriously, the guy literally thought Facebook and Yahoo were technology companies. Why, why would I value his opinion in this area? And I don't. Watch, watch Peter Thiel. I like where Peter Thiel's going. I think he's uh, an open-minded guy. He's he's dabbling in all these different assets. You know, it's interesting. You know, Peter Thiel's name has been popping up a lot more lately than Mark Andreessen's name. Oh, Remember how yeah. Mark Andreessen used to be everywhere? Yeah. Well, as I've said many times, you know, the, the venture capitalists, and, you know, you're talking about Andreessen, Horowitz, and there is a venture capital firm in Silicon Valley and others. For the most part, they have not taken positions in uh, blockchain or cryptocurrency related businesses. And I think much to their detriment. And I think the venture capital industry is going to suffer mightily as a result of the ICO market, cryptocurrencies in general, what blockchain can allow entrepreneurs and customers to do unless the venture capital industry modifies the way it does things its usefulness will go down significantly in the next five years. And the returns venture capitalists have been earning for their investors are also going to go down. So as we end today's show, this week's show, show seven, Bitcoin's at 13,193. Ethereum is at 1,132. Ripple, interesting little roller coaster ride it's had lately. It's at $1.89. And let's just pick another one out there. One I like, I, I kind of like Tron, just because I like both of the movies, the first one more than the last, but that's at 10 cents. Uh, any little picks that you have, William? Uh, you know, I, I typically don't look at the day-to-day -day movements of any of the coins. I will just say that, uh, you know, I think EOS, uh, which is an yeah. infrastructure coin and is uh, developed by a guy named Dan Larimer, who created uh, 
something called BitShares and is well known for a particular protocol called delegated proof of stake, which is sort of uh, how to uh, run your blockchain without having miners. Uh, I think what Dan Larimer has been building for EOS is going to is going to give Ethereum a run for its money. And uh, EOS should be able to solve a lot of the scaling problems that so far have crippled Ethereum. And later this year- And that's year, at $10.91, by the way, $10.91. All right, yeah. So later this year, we'll start to see uh, the EOS technology uh, become available. And uh, this, for anyone who's doing anything in the blockchain space, is a good thing. You've got more choices, more things to build upon. You don't have to just use Ethereum for smart contracts. Uh, you can even uh, mix them up. You can use EOS for some things and Ethereum for others. And as we've pointed out to our, to our user base, uh, Ken, uh, the beautiful thing about the cryptocurrency space and the blockchain space is that a lot of this uh, software that smart people build is open source. Anybody can use a copy of it without having to pay. And you should check out Wax, which is about $1.70 right now. And I like the uh, the graph of Wax right now as it continues to go up. Look at that. Of course, William and I are here every single week, no matter where we are in the world, him being in California, me being in Indonesia. We are your, your place for crypto. You got some questions, comments, ideas, send us an email. Uh, and that's show, S-H-O-W, at coindmz.com. William Quigley, thanks a lot for hanging out with us, or with me, and giving us all your great insight. And, of course, to Mr. Uh, Brock Pierce for being on the show. William, any last words from you? Well, I think next week, let's see what the news this week from Korea uh, really means because we're hearing rumors that uh, there are some people in the Korean government who want to eliminate cryptocurrency trading altogether. And uh, Korea is a major, major market uh, for cryptocurrency investors. So hopefully next week we'll have more clarity on what the government there wants to do. We'll find out more. Thanks a lot for listening to Coin DMZ. Oh,